I cannot imagine going through life, living on a daily basis, and thinking that, that's, that this is all that there is. I mean, what a, what a shame it would be, amen? How would anyone ever recover from the loss of a loved one if they, if they didn't think that there was a tomorrow, that there was an eternity? And Jesus Christ, through him coming out of the grave, all right, has demonstrated to us that he has power over death. Power over death. You get to be here today. You get to celebrate what he's done. We can't do it too much, can we? We can't get too excited. It is the message that we have to give to everybody. And it's got to be more than just an emotional stirring, amen? It's got to be something that you absolutely believe wholeheartedly. It has changed you and touched you. I'm excited about where we're at as a church. I'm excited about the individuals who are coming to know Christ, those who are finding freedom, those who are, are finding purpose, those who are getting on to the mission, all right? And, and they're deciding that they're going to be, be difference makers. I'm excited that because we're real people serving a real God, making a real difference. That is our vision statement, that, that we just continue to be real with one another. We all come with all of our issues. We all come with all of our challenges. But God, say, but God. He comes in, and as long as we serve him, he allows for us to make a difference. And, I, and I'm excited for that. Now, the, the, the changing thing for us, or the thing that really mixes it up and helps us to be able to do this mission, is that we get his DNA. Amen? We're in the middle of a series. If you're a guest here today, we want to let you know and just kind of give you a little uh, a, a taste of, of where we are and where we're going. And we're talking about these values, this DNA of the building blocks. That's what DNA is in the in the, uh, in the medical world all right it's it, it identifies you and makes you the same as a lot of other people with some things but also is the defining marks in you about what makes you different what makes you stand out you know that we're supposed to stand out as believers we're supposed to be people that not just drawing attention to ourselves but by drawing uh by by lifting him up and glorifying him something can happen and people will say guess what I want to go unto Jesus. The word of God says it. When you lift him up, it'll draw all men unto him. And so I'm excited. I want you to go ahead and start with the first slide, if you would, please. And, and uh, I'm going to ask, have you help me with the slides, if you please, would, please. And I just want to give an update here. In order to build a culture where real people are serving a real God, making a real difference, we have to unite on what defines us as far as central to people. Now, um, we're in the middle of these value series, and I'm going to preach a, an Easter message. But I want you to see how it all ties in. All right? That's all not right. that what we want right now. We do want that later. Okay. So the next slide, if you would, please. And you found a way to import that in. That's good, all right? And, and we, we said this, the scripture verse for us is 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. If anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, all right? That's, that's, you can't claim to be part of him and, not, and just do your own thing. Did you hear what I said? You can't just claim to be part of him and do your own thing. You have to do things the way that he did them and the way that he wants to. So go ahead and give us the next slide, please. So as you come to him, the living stone rejected by man but chosen by God, precious, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, all right? Next slide, please. So we talked about, and we're talking about these values, and we took the word central, 
C-E-N-T-R-A-L. And we came up with an acronym. And each of these letters start out and open up a, a, a word or a defining word, something that sticks with us. And, and what we want to understand is part of our building blocks, part of the makeup of who Christ was, is that he was committed to worship. He, he laid down his life, all right, so that God the Father could be exalted. He says, when you look at me, you see the Father. They said, well, we haven't seen the Father. He said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So he's committed to worship. And so we should be committed to worship. The next one was, right? Go ahead, please, that we'd be eternally minded. How important it is that we would th see things from, from that, that there is no end to it all, all right? We're going to live forever. It, all, it just makes a difference about where you're going to spend eternity, right? So go ahead, next one, please. Neglecting no one, all right, was last week. And then this week is truth speaking. Truth speaking, that we'll be a truth speaking people. And, and uh, we're going to do truth speaking again next week. We're going to carry on with that. And, and I, I've got a, a message I want to share with you called today. It's let the truth. All right, go ahead if you would, please. Next slide. This is the truth. Amen. This is truth. What is truth? You know, there's a lot of things and a lot of that, that people cannot agree upon, even when they observe the same event that is taking place. You could stand on a corner and see an accident and one person will see it from one perspective. Another person will see it from another. How many of you know that your emotions sway the, 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 sometimes the, the way in which you see things? The way in which you hear a story, sometimes someone else is sharing it with you and they'll share your, their perspective and then someone else will share their perspective. And just because you're a human being, you will lean or be guided towards the person whom you might be more familiar with. Now, some of you, I know you're, you're totally independent. You totally can just look at anything and you can be you know, independent from any biases all the time, right? It's hard. It's hard when someone tells you, but we, we work at it, Right. There was a survey that was taken back in the 90s, early 90s, and the interviewers were asked, do you strongly agree or agree somewhat, disagree somewhat, or disagree strongly with the following statement? Here's the statement. There is no such thing as absolute truth. Different people can define truth in conflicting ways and still be correct. Now, I'm not going to ask for us to go there. How many strongly agree with this or strongly disagree or anywhere in the middle? But did you know that out of this survey that was taken, 28% of the respondents expressed strong belief in absolute truth? Only 28% believed in absolute truth. 23% of them were born again and evangelical Christians. They were the ones who accepted this idea. Let me tell you something. If we can't believe in absolute truth, we have a serious problem in the world today. More than 75% of the followers of Christ say nothing can be known for certain. I'm not sure who those followers of Christ are. But it flies right in the face of 1 John 5.13 where he says these things are written so that you may know for certain that you have eternal life. That's what we're supposed to know. We're supposed to know for certain. It isn't some guesswork. It isn't some game. Listen, I love to play games, all right? But every time that there's a game that's being played, I understand that there's also that, and I'm going to say this word, okay, that chance part of it. You know what I'm saying? You can be really good at something and making right decisions uh, many times all throughout the game, but sometimes just the way the dice rolls, sometimes just the card that you get, sometimes some things happen and you can't do a thing about it, Amen. You can be very good at, you know, at, at a number of things. You can, be, you can have all of the, the things in order, all the rules in play when it comes to a game. But sometimes you just, you're just at the mercy of who's there with you or some other types of circumstances. 
Many people will say this. They'll say, who knows for sure what tomorrow will hold? Who knows for sure what is going to take place in the future? Listen, I can't tell you everything that's going to take place tomorrow or even next week or next month. But I can tell you what's in store for me in my future. I can tell you what's in store for every person who believes who Jesus Christ is, who has asked him to be their Lord and Savior. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen between now and when th th that, that place that we call heaven, that we're going to go to be, and there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. We're not, I can't tell you what's going to happen in between those things, but I know the end of the story. I know the end of the story, and I know it because of what Jesus did. He demonstrated his power over death. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Amen? I want to read a scripture verse, and then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray this, not just out of tradition, but I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts and our minds, and that today will be a different Easter, a different Resurrection Sunday for you, that you'll find something and a takeaway that you'll be able to say, you know what? I am changed as a result of worshiping the Lord today. I'm changed and I want to, I want to be more on mission for him, all right? So in Matthew chapter 28, I want to draw your attention to that. We find here, it says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Go ahead, please. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Truth. Say truth. <laughs> he is not here he's just he said come and see the place where he lay then go and quickly tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into galilee there you will see him now i have told you so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples suddenly jesus met them greetings he said they came to him clasped his feet and worshiped him then jesus said to them do not be afraid go and tell my brothers to go to, the, to Galilee, where they will see me. Now, we're going to skip ahead a few verses, all right? Going right there from, uh, to verse number 16. Look at what their reaction was. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, <laughs> just, <laughs> just scratch your head a little bit, okay? They worshipped him. In the moment, they worshipped him. And then look what happens. They followed, they did what they were told to do, to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And some would say, I checked the box. I went to worship service. I went to church today. Can I tell you something? If you stay here, which they did not, by the way, which they did not, by the way, say praise the Lord, Amen. Oh, they doubted in that moment. Anybody in here ever doubted before? Come on. How many truth speakers we got in here? Raise your hand up in here if you ever doubted. Come on. We all have doubted. We all have had questions, things that have gone unanswered. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to open up our heart's mind. 
the mind of our heart. God, open up the eyes of our heart. Let us be able to experience what the Apostle Paul was saying when he says that we might be able to embrace and understand how high, how deep, how wide your love is, Lord, that we would be able to understand the power that comes along with this proclamation of the gospel. Lord, have your way in us, that we wouldn't get stuck in this place of doubt. But Lord, even after hearing and knowing this, almost 2,000 years later, we can still say it has bearing on our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What an amazing opportunity it is that we have to recognize how God has done things and, and he's, he's ministered in ways that's, that continues to wow us. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes we get wowed in the wrong ways, right? Sometimes we, we hear about some things, we kind of, we kind of get a little slanted or shaded in our understanding of things. Here's, here's a lady, a man, a man who basically had a hard time. See, this woman and her overbearing husband went on vacation to Jerusalem. And while they were there, the husband passed away. The Jewish undertaker told the wife, you can have him shipped, from home, shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury him here in the Holy Land for only 150 The woman thought about it and told uh, told him she said she was going to ship her husband back home for the funeral. He said, are you sure you want to do that? It's $5,000 to ship him back, and we could bury him here in the Holy Land for $150. And the woman replied, well, I heard long time ago that there was a man who died here, and he was buried. But three days later, he rose from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. <laughs> Now, that's truth. But the application of that principle is not accurate, right? We find here in our text that after, after the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene and the other woman, they went and they looked in the tomb. There was a final earthquake. We've we seen the account that was there. But I want to talk to you today about something. I want to talk to you about this is true. Say, this is truth. All right? Sometimes truth is uncomfortable. I said, sometimes truth is uncomfortable. Someone walks up to you and say, how do I look? Is there a right answer? Someone says to you, you know, and I have this thought. I, I, we, we're, we want to be so well-meaning. We want to be so careful. We want us to be so concerned and so aware of everybody's feelings that we, you know, we ask somebody, someone says, well, let's go out to eat. And where do you want to go? I don't care is what someone will say. Do they really care? Well, let's go ahead and go over here. Let's go to Applebee's. Oh, no, I don't really want to go there. I thought you said you didn't care. This is truth. It's truth that is uncomfortable when we realize that we lie a whole lot more than what we think we do. Someone wants to be on the praise team. They come up. They try out. Because they should, right? Everyone knows, right? Praise team is about singing. <laughs> right? And, and you can worship in other ways. But, you know, they ought to be able to sing. I mean, how many of you ever watch American Idol? This girl was on there. She was on her seven years ago. They happened to pull up the video of what she was like seven years before. It was horrible. 
And so Luke Bryan says this. He says, he says, well, I'll tell you what, if, if you ain't a whole lot better th now than what you were then, then, you know, you, you just might as well plan to go back home. He says, it just isn't going to work. Well, guess what? She brushed up in a few areas, but she wasn't a whole lot different. They finally figured out, she, maybe she's figured out, I'm not going to be the next American Idol. Truth. Truth is uncomfortable. Easter had burst into the world, the world of space and time and matter, the world of real history, real people, real life. But our imaginations, but our minds were too small to comprehend it. The first Christians, they weren't prepared for what actually was about to happen. They had in their mind that he was going to establish a kingdom right here and now. Nobody was ready for what was about to take place there in that first century. But God. I mean, ever since people have tried to squash this Easter message into these conventional little boxes that don't fit. I mean, we find ourselves coming up with all certain kinds of, uh, of ways and traditions, right? Of doing things and sometimes they don't make any sense or don't have any bearing in truth at all is it getting a little uncomfortable <laughs> what things have you told people that has made you uncomfortable or made them uncomfortable it's not that we should try to do it but guess what the uncomfortable truth about Easter isn't that it didn't happen it is that it did happen what did happen well, let me tell you something. The medical world was uncomfortable because they can't figure out how somebody who was laid in a grave and was dead for three days could come back to life. Amen? It was uncomfortable for the medical professionals in that particular time. How many of you got to see the movie Breakthrough? It's uncomfortable for that doctor when he got there along with that mom and said, listen, I got to pull you out of the room. I got to tell you how unrealistic and how impossible this situation was. Your son had no heartbeat for one hour. And even if he was to come back, he should be a neurological mess. He should not be able to think. He should not be able to function, let alone what would eventually become the case if we go out there and play basketball again. It was a breakthrough moment, was it not? Scientists want to discount it because guess what? It can't be repeated. I want to take something and call, kill it off and then bring it back to life. It can't happen. It's uncomfortable, right? Individuals who want to pr pr promote religious equality where they want to say, listen, it, it, it's really okay that one faith has their way and then the Christian faith has their way. Isn't it better that we just kind of all get along? Listen, it's uncomfortable, but let me tell you something. There is only one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and the Word of God says that no man can come to the Father except by Him. And if they're not promoting and they're not lifting up Jesus, guess what? It's uncomfortable, but it's the truth. He is the only one who paid and died for our sins. Nominal Christians, they get a little uncomfortable because they don't want to face Living, the living God in Judgment Day. They, they, they've been told this story that, guess what? God loves everybody, which is absolute truth, right? But something also has to take place that helps you to understand that when you love him back, you will not be the same. That's the key. There isn't a whole bunch of list of rules of do's and don'ts, but there's this matter, this question you've got to answer. Do I love him? Because if I love him, I will obey him. If I love him, I will respect him. If I love him, I will honor him. Do you hear what I'm saying today? 
I guess we got to define what that honor is, what respect is, and we can understand. But guess what? This truth is uncomfortable to some people today. This truth is uncomfortable to atheists who only recognize the material world, who have this idea that God didn't exist. Somehow you were a blob that came to be organized like you are, reproducing as you do, and all the other living elements that are complete miracles. Those atheists have a problem because guess what? They can't redo it again. Amen? And they have this idea that we're just going to be annihilated. We're going to not exist at all anywhere. This resurrection of Jesus caused shockwaves all throughout the world, even in the limited world as we knew it at that particular time, right? Listen, I want to tell you something. In the 1950s, kids in schools asked questions about whether a man would ever be able to walk on a moon. Has a man walked on the moon today? July 20th, 1969, his name was Neil Armstrong. So, okay, that could take place. I want to tell you something. It's uncomfortable, but God still is doing the impossible today. He still is doing things that, that make people feel uncomfortable. We're to take a look at some convincing proofs of Jesus in the resurrection, and I hopefully it settles something within you that you can walk out of this place, and you can hold your head up high, and you can stick your chest out and say, I am convinced, and I know the reason for the hope that I have within me. Amen? This is truth. Jesus died on a cross. Go ahead, please. Next one, if you will, please. This is truth. Jesus died on the cross. You see, why do we have to say that? Because there's some out there that will promote that he really didn't die. He just slipped into a deep coma and really couldn't sense his pulse. You know, the, 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 the breathing was so shallow. Look here, the, the scripture says it this way. Next slide, please. He has risen from the dead. He has risen from the dead. How do we know he died? Well, we know that Pilate beat him 39 times, had him beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails. It was a whip that had bones and, and balls of lead woven into it. One of the witnesses of the, Roman, of the Roman flogging there prior to the crucifixion wrote this. He said, the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles and tendons and intestines of the victim were open to exposure. Not, not with the intent to sew him back up again. Not to stop and cause the blood pressure to come back to an appropriate level again but with the intent to inflict such pain. Such pain with no comfort, no bandages, no stopping of the bleeding whatsoever. How could anybody ever withstand that? Jesus was obviously in serious critical condition even before the crucifixion began. And then they asked him to carry his own cross. And after he carried his own cross and received a little assistance along the way, they took these nails, five to seven inch spikes that were driven into his wrist, crushing the very median nerves that was there. And experts say that that would be like taking a pair of uh, pliers and squeezing on your funny bone as hard as you can. It's not funny, you know what I'm saying? It hurts. After this, his wrists, his feet were laid on one another, and a long spike were driven through both of his feet. And he was hoisted up into the air, hanging there. 
And with each and every breath that he would have to breathe, he would have to lift up and pull up on those particular nails. After receiving the 39 lashes, death by suffocation was certainly going to be something that would be experienced. But you know what? It wasn't done there. They wanted to make sure he's dead. We're talking about the truth is, this is truth, he died. Right? Because if we don't really believe he was dead, it takes away the, the reality and, the, and the, the power of the miracle, right? Of the resurrection. You're going to run into somebody somewhere who's going to say that I don't really think he was dead. You're going to draw their attention, hopefully, to these particular events that took place. Being reminded that they took a spear just to make sure. And they thrust it into his ribs, puncturing his heart, where the word says that blood and water flowed. Now, why did they do that? Because they were going to break his legs to increase or to uh, make faster the death that was pending. But they didn't have to do that with him because he was already gone. And so as proof to that he was dead and that we don't have to break his legs, that's why the spear was there. This is truth. He died. And you need need to know it. This is truth. Next one, please. The tomb was empty. Say praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Look at the scripture here. We're taking it from the same text. Go ahead, please. It says this. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. But guess what? He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. You come on in and check it out. Think about how mind boggling that that must have been. They were determined all right, the Jewish priests and, and individuals at that time to put an end to this person and the message that he has. This one who is standing in opposition to all their religious rules and regulations. And now he's gone. And what happens next? They want to do the cover-up. Well, just go tell your, 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 your authorities that you fell asleep. You can't do that. They'll take my life. We'll protect you. We'll cover you. Listen, that tomb was empty. God had a different idea than the Romans. God had a different idea than those Jewish priests. God had a different idea than than the rest of the world, even than the kingdom of darkness. Amen. You see, the resurrection was unstoppable. The Roman guards couldn't stop it. The Jewish leaders couldn't stop it. Pontius Pilate couldn't stop it. Caesar and all his legions couldn't stop it. All the atheists and evolutionists, the doubters, the politicians, the scoffers, the evil governments, they cannot stop the reality that the tomb is empty today. Amen? They can't. This is truth. There were eyewitnesses to him being alive. I'm just giving it to you. I want to spell it. I want you to understand, right? Who he was. What had to happen? He died. The tomb was empty. And guess what? There was eyewitnesses to give an account of it. In our text, we find here, he says this. Next, please. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they clasped his feet and worshiped him. Just one account. We understand there's some 500 different occasions and times in which Jesus appeared before 
people giving verification that he was once dead and now he's alive. The tomb is empty, but he is alive. And these witnesses were able to give credit to those particular details. In a court of law, we would, call, we would call all these particular eyewitnesses and we would cross-examine them and we would start to ask them over and over again, are you sure it wasn't like this? We'd try to come up with all kinds of excuses to make sure that it really was the truth. And every time they were asked, every time over and over again, they would find that those witnesses would have the same answer, i seen him. And certainly the ones that bent down and clasped his feet and worshipped him they could testify to the fact. I wonder, I wonder what has to happen in us today for us to be that convinced. We can't be an eyewitness in the physical sense, but what kind of a witness can we be? Next truth, this is truth. His resurrection had a profound effect on his disciples. You see, before Easter, they were dejected, rejected, despondent, they thought their leader was gone forever. Peter denied him three times. The very one whom by the power of the Holy Spirit, what? Had it told him who Jesus was. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus told him everything that was going to happen. Rebuked him when he needed to rebuke him, but then even told him the type of death that he was going to experience. Was he ready for it? Are we ready for it? Are we understanding what is before us? The profound effect that it had on these disciples is that they came to a place and they realized that Jesus was alive. Amen? They realized, even doubting Thomas, whom really gets a you know, I'm bum shaking all this. I mean, he just basically, it's not really right that he would be considered to be the one that was doubting. Everyone else had to see him as well, right? Oh, it was easy. I mean, for them, they just happened to see him first. But what is it that you or I need to see? What is it that has to happen in our events within our lives for us to become conv completely convinced that he's alive today? We need to find that out. What experience, what encounter that you need to have? Because there are things all around us that are giving evidence to the truth that Jesus is alive today. Even non-Christian historians have had to concede that something incredible had to have happened in that first century to motivate the followers of Christ to turn to the Roman world and be able to turn it upside down. You see, these same ones whom we read in our text a few moments ago that were doubting. Oh, they worshipped. They had their service. They came together, but then they doubted. Somehow their worship and then their doubt turned into belief that would mean that they would live in a manner or way in which they would, they would die for what they believed. Now, can you convince anybody to die for a lie? I don't know too many takers of that, right? And here these disciples, even though they doubted, they had such a profound effect upon them that they decided, I will give my life to make sure that this message gets out to everybody I know. Amen?
The only explanation to this truth is that this profound effect is that there was a resurrection. You can go to all the tombs of the founders of other great world religions. You can go and you can try to find Muhammad. Guess what? Call the roll if you go to those tombs. And that person would have to say, here. Moses would have to say what? Here. Buddha would have to say what? Confucius would have to say here. Right? But Jesus Christ? Jesus! Jesus! Dead silence. No answer. No answer because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen? I'll tell you what, church. It, this idea of the resurrection isn't just something that we should get excited about on one time out of the year. It ought to be the same message that we share with people over and over again about how he's alive. Amen. Oh, we draw special attention to it in a time like this, in a season like this. But listen, if you're not living in a daily way that promotes that he is alive and that you're living for him, then we are really confusing the world to whom we've been called to minister. You see, this is truth. Jesus desires to have a profound effect on you today. Today, he desires to have a profound effect on you. Some of you have been following via Facebook and in the prayer chains and such and praying for a young man by the name of Adrian Bishop. Back around, I think, the 10th or so of March, Adrian was diagnosed with influenza type A and, and some other things that developed into pneumonia. And things went south really, really quick. For a virtually health, health, uh, healthy person. Sarah Groh used to be here at this church as a young adult. She ministered here some different times, was part of our young adult ministries back in, from 93 to 99 when I was here as a youth pastor. Married to him, begins to call out. I believe they live in, is it Indiana or Illinois? Help me out, someone. Down, anyone know? Don't matter. So she calls out across the airwaves and says, will some people pray? And every time she asked for prayer, she didn't get a whole lot of good news in those beginning hours, those beginning days. She called out and she said, will someone pray? Will someone beg? How many of you know you've got a loved one? You'll use whatever needs, needs to be done, right? You'll grovel. You'll cry out. You'll do whatever is necessary in order for that person to be able to experience life again because you love them. And Sarah cried out for her husband. She continued to cry out. I'm just going to kind of give you some updates here. He was, he was diagnosed with severe ARDS, which is ARDS. And the doctors in this, this particular hospital said it is as bad as they had ever seen. He was in complete lung failure back on the 18th of March, less than a week after he's diagnosed with the flu with pneumonia. The doctors, if they gave them any hope at all, said it was going to be a marathon and you need to get ready because there's going to be a series of ups and downs, good days and setbacks. It could take weeks or even months to recover. 
They sat Sarah down that day to try to give her the gravity of the situation and said, your husband is gravely and critically ill. He is as sick as he can be with still being alive. I'd like to give you the good news and say it got better from there, but guess what? It didn't. It got worse. Every time they flip him on his back, his oxygen level would plummet, and they had to leave him laying on his face for days on end. They had all kinds of procedures they were doing. They were doing something called uh, ECMO, and they, they finally uh, did that and held him in that particular place for a, a long period of time, and, and, and it was really difficult. But guess what? He, he at least was, was holding st stable. Not even a week later, Sarah meets again with the doctors after they did decide to put him on this ECMO device, or, and, and they met, and they said, I don't have good news for you today. You see, they take segments of recovery in two-week increments, and, and, and the, the ECMO settings that they had done were already at maximum capacity. They hadn't been able to decrease him. He hadn't been able to get better at any point. And there were two weeks now into this procedure. They already mentioned the possibility of a lung transplant. But how many, how many things? You, you, you hear good news, and then you hear that but. It's like, oh, my goodness. But, oh, yeah, he's not a good candidate for that. The only thing that's going to save his life is for him to have a, heart, a lung transplant. But guess what? He's not eligible. It'd be hard for him to get one anywhere because he's such a high risk. Sarah writes, my grief is beyond words. Please keep fasting and praying. Now, I want you to note, and we're moving forward a number of, of weeks. There was a little girl who grabbed a hold of her mama's phone and began to speak what she saw just a moment ago. If you go ahead and bring that up, please, I'd appreciate it. Go ahead, Jonathan. Hi, Daddy, I miss you. Today at school I cried because I missed you too much and everybody was staring at me. All I knew was just to stay strong. Even though I might not see you for a while, I know that I still love you in all the ways. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. There's a reason why he put and not to harm you right there. He doesn't have plans that will harm you. He has plans that are good for you. Even though you're sick and lying in bed, I might not be able to see you for a long time, doesn't mean he doesn't have plans for you. I know he does. And for real, I love you. And remember, Jeremiah 29, 11, not to harm you. He put to, to give you hope in the future for a reason. I miss you, Daddy. Bye. Faith and the wisdom of a child who is fully convinced of a word that's timeless. It wasn't long after that particular time when things started to move in the right direction. Say the right direction. <laughs> this is truth. 
that when you choose to react to what the Holy Spirit is doing, when you choose to respond and get on board with what his mission, with what his plan is, there is nothing impossible. Amen? And so I think almost two weeks ago, Sarah writes this. I apologize for the lack of updates. The simple reason is that I'm exhausted in every way. Adrian is doing great. I said, Adrian is doing great. Hallelujah. He is off of all of the machines and off of all the meds. Remind you that two weeks ago this afternoon, the pulmonologist said that since he is still on 100% life support on both ECMO and VENT, they were not able to lower either after two weeks that things were not looking good. Now, I know we don't give and attest everything to just that child's prayer and to that statement, but we do attest this, that there were a people who believed. There were people who were uniting together with her. There are people who still believe today that Jesus Christ is not in the grave, amen? Oh, he did die, but he's out of the grave, and he's given us a commission and a mission today, and he wants us to keep on saying, listen, miracles are still possible today. Today, he was sitting up in bed with no machines, no meds, no noticeable withdrawals the past few days. He was so heavily medicated. He was experiencing all kinds of detox stuff, no feeding tube, doing PT, eating a regular diet, and watching movies on an iPad. He is still as sharp as a tack. We are thankful that he was never oxygen deprived. Oh, my goodness. He hasn't moved to the step-down unit as of then, but he may be now. I'm truthfully, I am truthfully still amazed at what God has done. What does that statement say? That statement says what all of us do on a regular basis. We throw up our prayers and we throw up our hands and we have the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And there's events that happen in our life from time to time that we ask him to do something, but we still get amazed when he answers the prayer. Do we not? Do we not? Can we be truthful? This is truth. It's uncomfortable, but guess what? It's truth. But the beautiful part about it is that our loving Savior doesn't hold it as a demerit or a black mark against you because of you struggling in your faith or you having a time and when you say, but God, how did this happen? How did you do this? I'm amazed that you would do this. And he's like, didn't I say I would? Didn't I say I was going to come out of the grave? Mm, I want that. Oh, I want to walk at a level of faith a whole lot more than I want to walk in the level of doubt. But I am so thankful that I serve a loving God, one who looks at me and sees me and accepts my worship and knows the sincerity of it when I offer it to him and says, here it is up to you, Lord. Here it is, everything I've got. And then all of a sudden I get some news. As you get some news from time to time and it kind of starts to weigh on us and wear us down, you can have the hope. You can have the assurance that it's in your times of doubt that the Holy Spirit will come in when you need him and he will breathe a word from somebody. Amen? To remind you that you're not alone. Praise team, come if you would, please. I have a question for you today. The question is this. Who are you putting your trust in? Who... Are you putting your trust in? 
Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live. Listen to this. Even though he dies. Now, that, I'm not really looking forward to that day. For me to say goodbye to everything that I've known here on earth. Maybe not to participate in some of the historic events that we all want to participate in. But with God as my helper, I do not want to approach the eventuality of death in a morbid way that says I cannot have peace, that says I cannot have joy, that all I think about is what is to lose. For the Apostle Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Another place, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? If you're here today, I'm not sure who you're living for. I'm not sure what you expect God to do to prove his existence to you. But I'm telling you, there are 512 other people who are eyewitnesses of what Jesus and that he's alive today, amen? We have disciples who were willing to lose their lives in order to get this message out. It may be uncomfortable for you to hear today, but you just can't say that you want to live for God. You want the salvation, but you don't want to respect him. You don't want to honor him. You've got to find a way to put him first. You've got to find a way to worship him and to get past those days of doubt. When your spirit will come in and someone will nudge you and give you a word and say, listen, I remind you of everything that you've ever heard before. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to go to the next level? Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Here we are, Lord, before you, and we ask you right now to move in this place. If there be anybody here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray, God, that they would experience your gift of grace, your gift of mercy right now. I pray, Lord, that they would understand that you've got so many greater things in store for us. You just want us to believe you. You want us to trust you. You accept us as we are. You make us into what you want us to be. Thank you, Lord. I try to make this as simple as possible. Every eye closed, every head bowed still, just to give the privacy of the moment and you may be here today, and I don't know if you've prayed a prayer like this before. You've Jesus Christ become your Lord and Savior, or if you've done it a hundred times. Here's what you've got to evaluate. Am I right with God right now? If someone was to ask me, what is the reason for the hope that's within you? You'd be able to tell them something. If you can't, you need to ask this loving, merciful, grace-filled God to overwhelm you with the assurance of his, of his existence and his love for you and your commitment to him. If that's you today, you say, I'm not where I need to be, but I want to get there. Would you lift up your hand today right now in this place, all across this place right now in Jesus' name. Right now, find freedom, one and two, and I think three over here. God bless you. Four, God bless you. God bless you. 
Yes, yes. You're not where you want to be. You're not where you want to be. You can put those hands down. I see the, at least five individuals. <laughs> He's got a great plan for you. Will you pray this prayer with me, everybody in this place? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you demonstrated for us by sending your son to pay the price for our sins. We're thankful for that. And we ask you to become real and alive in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. Show us how to live for you so others will live for you. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins in Jesus' name.